welcome to Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero, hosted by me, Kate Thompson. And me, Mark David Christensen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's week two with the Wild Hunt. Yeah. We got some epic storytelling going on now. <laughs> Before, we're going to, of course, walk through the issues this yeah. week with you, Kate, because we don't have any segments. Sorry, folks. It's only issues this week, which I think is pretty good for, and Makes sense for something as like dense as the Wild Hunt. Yeah, we'll get into the details, but overall, how you feeling about it? I mean, so far it's cool. I it made me want to go back and read the Island, especially these two issues. Yeah, this really touches on the past quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Even the corpse. I mean, I yeah. I think I definitely did a quick look back at the corpse either in the last two issues or the beginning of this, just to be like, I under. I mean, I the corpse is not. It's very short, not hard to forget, but... Yeah, I think The Corpse is, like, such... It's, like, a simpler story that deals with fewer, like, existential crazy shit. Like, the island has, like, a few parts that are a little abstract, at least when you just first read it. Mm-hmm. And then and then it has the entire real history of the world. So it's, like, there's a lot jammed into it that I, I was like, let me get a refresher on this. Smart, smart. But I'm digging it. I'm digging this one. Anything stand out for you from the island on your revisit? Yeah, just, uh, you know, just this priest that came back to life with Hellboy's blood. That was the part where I was like, let me just double check this and see what the dealio is. I'm very curious because they'll like sort of solidify in this one in these two issues. And when they touch on the island, they sort of solidify some stuff that is little in the island. I felt when reading it was like. It was not vague, but it wasn't like on the nose. So it left you thinking yeah. like, oh, did this happen? Did this occur? What was the like? And then I think this, this, these issues in the wild hunt definitely confirm things. They can be like, oh, I was right to think that. Yeah. Did that still feel the same? Did or did you? Yeah, it more like- I think, I think like just storytelling wise, I think just to keep it a little abstract and open for interpretation is like one more poetic and two gives Mignola as a writer, a little wiggle room down the road to be like, I want to take the story in this direction or that direction. Or like, you know, not like huge deviations from probably his original idea that he already had when he was doing the Island, but like, you know, he could, he could take those ideas and sort of ch- tweak them if he wanted to. Right. That makes sense. It's a great way to put it. It does give him that wiggle room. Before we move on to recapping and then getting into these issues, I saw a headline. I didn't really, I think I clicked on it and then realized it was just like a very clickbaity website, you know, where it's just like, I guess I got this, if I want to even read anything of substance, I'm going to have to like scroll through a bunch of ads before I get to some article that is buried among it. Yeah. So I only just remember the headline. I don't even know where it was from, but it said, Mia Jovich says that that Hellboy will be a cult classic. And she also said it wasn't received well because it it was too loyal to the source material. And I I love Mia Jovich. I thought she was perfect casting for Blood Queen. I've already stated that. But if I didn't read any article or see if it was like a misquote or anything, but if right. that was true, I want to be like, Mia, did you read? Did you read the Wild Hunt? Because I don't think yeah, the, I, don't I don't think I don't think the issue with 2019 Hellboy was it was too close to the material. 
or yeah. <laughs> too loyal. I mean, they tried to, they just took little elements from each of the stories and, you know, just try to cram a lot into it. But yeah, it's, you know, a ton change from this comic to to that movie. Yeah, totally. With that being said, too, like what you just said, cramming it all in there is very true. Yeah. Very but I think, I mean, I do think she'll be right. I think that movie will like resurface as like a a big budget B movie that people will watch and in like there'll be a groups and niche for it. Yeah, some people really like it. Some yeah. people dig it. Yeah. There you go. She's right there. More power to those. People. Sorry to throw some shade at Mia Jovich to kick off this episode. No, no. <laughs> Never disparage her. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into the wild hunt. Um, let's yeah. start with recapping where we left off and all sure that. Sure thing. Written by Mike Mignola, illustrated by Duncan Figredo, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Clem Robbins, edited by Scott Alley, and originally published between December of 08 and November 2009. Yeah, we, we basically, in the first two, kind of the big things was... The funeral of Dagda, the fairy king who was killed and, you know, Alice was there and Hellboy recognized Alice. Mm -hmm. That was probably the big, big thing from from that. Graugach has the remains of the queen and yeah. And then Hellboy goes to fight with the (laughs) Cyrus Club (laughs) with the Cyrus Club. And is betrayed and stabbed with an electrified spear and wakes up and they're all dead. Hellboy has the chance to escape with this ability to be, be invisible as long as he holds this little flower that we saw at like Dogda's funeral. That's given to him by a bird that he was also <laughs> speaking to at Dogda's funeral. And then something compels Hellboy to drop the flower, become visible, and start a fight with these giants <laughs> who... You know, give him a good run for his money, but he does eventually. I mean, we kind of see the fight unfold over the next few issues, but, you know, he eventually defeats them. And then Graugach is approached by Astaroth in the guise of an old man. And then we kind of hear Graugach's backstory, like that he was the shapeshifter who kind of got stuck in this body. And then Astaroth offers Graugach, uh the blood of an entire town as like a sacrifice and he pours that into the Blood Queen's box. It's not even like a coffin. It's like a little box. Tiny little box. And she's revived. So yeah, that's the first two basically in a little tiny nutshell. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot in there. A lot of everything is like, a, there's some great moments throughout, but yeah. It's dense. It's a good kind of dense. I love it. Yeah, and then issue three opens up in Ireland, and Hellboy's at Alice's house. Her parents have both died. It's like, oh, you know, bummer. They were nice. Like, I would come in to check on you guys, and but you were really young. She's like, oh, no, I remember. She talks about how she kind of would encounter the fairies after that, and they were, like, kind to her after that. They never tried to abduct her anymore. Yeah, she started a relationship with them. It's fun. Yeah. Hellboy says, I think it was like 43 years, she says, since Hellboy has come back to visit, which like puts her, what, in her 50s or something? Yes. She definitely should be much older than she appears. Yeah. And then I guess it's kind of implied later in the comic that like 
being friends with the fairy folk has sort of given her lasting youth. Yeah. Or something. But yeah, so she's like, you know, she's not like young, but she certainly doesn't look like 55-ish mm-hmm. or whatever. And they're just kind of talking about like, it's good that you came here. I thought you were going to come sooner. And then it cuts to Hellboy, more <laughs> of his battle with the giants in one shot, like a giant swings his sword at Hellboy and Hellboy uses his fist to smash it, to smash the sword to bits. <laughs> and he picks up a like a sharp shard of the sword and which is still like an enormous sword in Hellboy's hands. Yeah. And he runs at the giants. And then I like this uh, panel a lot where she's like, better late than never. And he says, yeah. And his hand, his left hand is ref- resting on the right hand of Doom in a way that makes that hand look really, really heavy. Yeah. You know, it's like, just seems, you know, emotionally and then physically, it seems like to be weighing Hellboy down. Yeah, and so you get... a good panel. I agree with you on that being a great panel because his facial expression that Fregredo has given him here is like he's very much thinking about this this fight with the giants. He has yeah. like sort of that like very like like a petulant child almost like yeah yeah you're right <laughs> like but yeah. he's like it's like he's lost a little still in thought in thought about that fight yeah and she can like and then her expression which is only profile but. Her like her more of her like posture is like right, leaning she's towards like leaning him. Into him, yeah. I really like that. So she's picking up on it all this like moodiness that he's throwing down. Yeah, and even like the panel above them, which like this panel sort of like this lower panel, her speech bubble kind of overlaps that initial panel of Hellboy holding this giant shard of the sword and like screaming like a berserker a barbarian or something yeah. like that which kind of shows that she's like her talking is like cutting into his memory like his mind is there yeah. and then it, she kind of speaks and sort of knocks him out back into the present moment and i also like that on the table there's like this delicate tea set <laughs> meanwhile we've just seen hellboy like completely shatter a giant's sword with his right hand of doom and the right hand of doom is like super close to this very fragile little dainty tea set. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was just fun, like a fun detail that also shows like Hellboy, like he's capable of this crazy destruction. He doesn't want to do that, I think, you know? Yeah. We'll definitely get, we'll, we'll get his opinion on it and also yeah. the implications of it. Yeah. Soon enough. But yeah, I think you're right. He, he's, not ca- he's capable, but doesn't really want to do it. And I, I mean, yeah. backing up a little with you pointing out the daintiness of that tea, I love a couple of pages back. One, him just holding the teacup is delightful. Yeah. And the, but I love when we like in the middle of her like catching him up to like her, where how where you know for the last whatever forty three years, I love the the two like panels that are small inside the page where he picks up a cookie and dips it in his tea. Yeah, yeah. Or a biscuit, I guess. I don't know what they say in Ireland. She calls it a biscuit. <laughs> That's right, <point>. biscuit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and this is all, you know, primarily he's, I mean, he's using his left hand, of course, for all of those things. But the right hand of Doom is like barely in any of these panels as he's just like talking and being like more normal with her. And not it isn't until after we see his big fight with the giants, like a flashback to that, 
that his right hand of doom is like become like it's in the next few shots right after that. It's like very present. It's literally between him and Alice, like him and humanity. Kind yeah. of, like, you know, there's like a lot. It's I think like it's all really intentional. I think for Grado is really good with stuff like that. Like some shit that you would, you know, as you're reading it, you might not be thinking about it too much. But I think it like subconsciously creates like something in your head. I think it does. I think it creates this visual separation between Hellboy and other people. Yeah, I love or between that. Between this, like, the delicate likeness of mankind, you know, like all of this stuff. You're nailing it. I love this. Like, I, so. I, I've I mean, it a couple Grado of times. I mean, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, but like you calling it out is like bringing in such light because you're you're totally right on that symbolism in like this moment. It's more than just the words because then she she. It's interesting that she then goes in a sense over his yeah. his right hand of him this barrier between them and grabs his hand yeah she's comforting him by holding his left hand and yeah not even touching his other hand like yeah. right her hand is sort of like you know maybe it's implied that maybe she does but she is not in this sh- mm-hmm. in this panel you know and she's like i know you probably want something stronger but we we've got to be going and then time is ticking in an obvious, like, yeah, time is of the essence and shit. Yeah, shit um, started and we got to catch up with it. <laughs> yeah, and there's, like, no going back. It's, like, a very, like, the pace is literally like that, where it's, like, okay, next thing, next thing, next thing, next yeah. thing. Like, it's ramping up right now. Like, it's interesting you call, you you're, you just brought up right now the ramping up, because what I found interesting is I think you're 100% right that at the top of this issue, things are ramped up because... If you notice in the first two issues, when they would cut to like other places, they were putting like a little thing of like somewhere else in England, right? Mm-hmm. Now they've completely eliminated that. And whether that's subconsciously or consciously they decided to take it out, it does add more of like that crunch, that time crunch to it without giving us like the like somewhere back in England. Because somewhere like back in England gives me this feeling of like, okay we have time to sit here for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Now it's like, we're cutting back, all, back to Gruagak and the blood queen. And it's like, shit's moving. You know where we are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's going down. Like some bad shit's going down. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. Cuts to Gruagak and the resurrected blood queen. She's like enshrouded in this like red, you know, bright red cloak. It's almost like the blood on her body turned into this cloak. <laughs> yeah, it's like in completely enveloping her and she's like, you know, it's like a very, you know, she's just, I mean, I know Hellboy's red, but she's like red in this like classic villainy kind of a way. Yeah. And these two witches approach her. She's like, yeah, where are all the witches? Half of them are drowned. They drowned themselves because they were themselves because they were afraid of what the blood queen would do, which is like, OK, so this lady's. Fucked up. There was a fucking reason she was in a box. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason that, as we'll find out, the witches got together and killed this lady in the first place. <laughs> so one witch approaches her and tells her that Helene, and she says, come closer. Ah, and she like holds out her hand and the blood queen's like, oh, yeah, that was uh, the cup of poison and the knife that cut my throat like were in this hand. So she wither, he, she kills her hand. She It becomes like dead flesh. Whoa. It's all like cracking and necrotic and stuff. But that's it. And the witch just says like, your majesty. So she's like, 
subjugated completely and you know weeping probably with pain and fear of what this witch is about to of what the blood queen's going to do yeah this other witch is there and she the blood queen tells her to come forward ganeda you're here and so she's like oh yeah you were like a good friend to me but you were the one who put the idea to kill me in everyone else's minds or in their hearts i think she says yeah i trusted you most of all but it was you who put poison and knives in their hearts you turned them against you turned them all against me and she's like breaking her bones and she's like writhing around. It reminds me of the the newer Suspiria movie. A little Immediately, bit. the same reference yeah. came to mind when they do the dance and the woman's down in the basement, like yeah, just dance like her room. bones are like creaking and like <laughs> breaking. And oh, it's just uh, such a gut wrenching scene in that new movie. Yeah. And that's what you know. That's what's going on right here. They capture it so well here, and this is something that I love. In this scene, that really their choice to do this very this small little specific that makes the Blood Queen absolutely more terrifying to me and more powerful mm-hmm. is like I think in most like comic book realm. I'm just gonna like I'm not just gonna say superheroes, but comic books and traditionally even cinema. When people decide to do like a magic thing or a move or use a power, it comes. Yeah. It traditionally comes with a pose, right? Or right, you're doing stuff. Yeah, like if you're like a Doctor Strange, you're like doing all kinds of little hand motions. Yeah, and, and I get it. It's like a and visual the Blood cue. Queen is just like willing it to happen, and it's I happening. I fucking love that she is completely still with her hands yeah. in her lap as she uses this power. That to me is so. Goddamn terrifying. Yeah. It's very creepy. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, her like feet are hanging like dangling over the box. You know, she's not like, she's not like an imposing size or anything like that. But she's just like extremely powerful. And she looks like vulnerable. She has no other clothes other than the cloak. It's like she doesn't she's not like heavily armored or something like that. Yeah. I just love the moment after she's twisted and everything, yeah. which is just like she, she's still alive. She's just like, yeah. kill me. Yeah. Kill me. And then she says and then immediately after that, the blood queen just says, now I'm settled with all of the witches and I forgive them leaving me in this box so long. They should come to me now and the rest will follow. And so she's not, she's completely ignoring this witch. She's just going to let her live on in this, like, <laughs> broken, distorted state. Yeah, like, completely. She's like, yeah, that's settled, even though she, like, begged her to kill her. <laughs> the witch is like, please kill, you know. Kill yeah. Oof. And Graugic tells the Blood Queen, there's no word yet from Elion or Mur. Or, and he's, like, listing all of these, like, other fairy folk, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, the Elion are just a variety of fairy from Ireland. And I think the Myrrh refers to Fomorians, who are from the ocean. Oh, that's and cool. And, like, that, I, the thing I saw was, like, one suggestion is that the name comes from the old Irish Myrrh for sea. And that name thus means something like the undersea ones or something. Something like that. Oh. So just another cool, they're a supernatural race in Irish mythology, which I thought was cool. That is very cool. Yeah. So basically these other like echelons of fairy folk don't want to come follow this queen because she's a fucking nut who will like <laughs> twist your body and leave you there. <laughs> and she says, uh, let them keep their to their palaces and high places. I care nothing for them. 
And she gives this like cool speech basically talking about why she wants these other fairy folk. I want an army out of the caves. I want the forgotten people of the dark, those who have lived in dust with only hate to sustain them. I want teeth that have gnawed dry bones while dreaming of blood. Give me an army like that and who will stand against us? So, yeah, really creepy. She wants these people that have been like trampled on. It's like, it's like, you know, there's a lot of like dictators who take advantage of completely, like completely uh, fucked up people, like people who have like yeah. nothing. Yeah, it's easier. And, it's easier to manipulate those that feel un- yeah. unwanted. Just not powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, oh, that's who I want. I'm sure she would take anybody, but she's like, yeah, I don't want that. You know, she's like speaking to the other fairy people who are there now saying this, basically. Yeah. And then it cuts back to Alice and Hellboy. They're just sort of talking again about like Alice is explaining like, oh, yeah, I don't look much older. The little people did me some good, she says. So I guess like just some magic is keeping her from looking 55. And she's bringing Hellboy to a spot where she saw Queen Mab once, like, a while ago. Queen Mab, it's, it's interesting that this is, like, full-on Mignola pulling from Shakespeare. Like, yeah. And he's, and he's just like, well, my world includes this includes this Shakespearean Queen Mab as well, which is from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. <laughs> just It's just, here we go. He's going to pull, he's going to make his world as, as diver, like, interesting as he wants. And just include whatever folklore is interesting to him and fold all of that in. Yeah. Yeah. So she saw Queen Mab the night after Dagda's funeral. And so that's where she's bringing him. And she's not, Mab's not there yet. So they kind of continue talking. Alice is like saying what Mab told her that night, warning her that a war was coming and that it's Hellboy's fault. Alice (laughs) is like, I feel like it's both of our faults, but it's basically because you mistreated that changeling. And, you know, she said that the witches asked you to be their king and you said no. And that... You know, Hecate asked you to be the king as well, and you were still refused. So, and, like, just telling him, like, letting him know what we kind of know, which is that Grauguk is, like, swearing revenge and getting all of these, like, joining all these forces together. Hellboy's like, all because of me. And then Mab interjects. She's appeared on the hill at this point. And she says, like, I think that must be the curse of your life that the ruin of things will come from your good works. So it's like a tragic (laughs) thing. Yeah, like, you know, very Shakespearean in every way that we literally have a Shakespeare character. And it's also like the tragedy of Hellboy is like him trying to do good and causing probably the end of the world, basically. Yeah, exactly. Or if not the end of the world, just every... Like it's in, it's very what she she already said it best, but it's interesting that everything he's attempted to do to be good is just always has opened another door to yeah something else, another pain. I mean, Rasputin yeah. definitely opened up other things, and that involved Hecate, and Hecate didn't give up for a while. And that has yeah, continued giving to haunt Hecate him. like a a vessel for her to you know reborn in although she's like trapped at the moment right and mab tells hellboy you know this this blood queen she's terrible she just wants blood she she wants war and she doesn't even want to win she just wants everybody to die (laughs) um 
And Mab's like, I know that you're good in your heart, but I also know, like, what happened when you went to the island and your blood resurrected this ancient priest. And right um, here is where yeah. I think they completely confirmed that he died. Because yeah. I think when we read the island, we were like, oh, I think he died. Yeah. But the comic, and not because the I don't think it was, as we already spoke to, an heir on Mignola. Mignola, I think he was keeping it very, like, poetically open. Right. But, like, she straight up confirms it finally right here. Like, you right. died there. Just to clarify, <laughs> like, some fans have asked. <laughs> yeah, so this, you know, this creature fashioned a new body from your blood. And, uh, you know, you were able to... Uh, it like became the thing that you were meant to be. You were sent to destroy the world. And I know you destroyed that creature, but all of those months on that little boat, wasn't he with you there every day? Just as he has been every day since, you know, and she's like, you can drink with ghosts all you want, but you can't escape that fact. It's just happening and it's going to overtake you. And it already kind of has, hasn't it? And then it cuts to him going berserker on the fucking giants. So it's like, he's kind of being influenced by this, like, eviler entity or ancient kind of entity that's gonna just use Hellboy's body as a means to bring about the end of human mankind at least. I'll even go further and say that it's not even an entity. I think it's his it's part of his nature. It's his literally blood. Yeah. Is I which I think gives it doubles down on making this him such a tragic character. Yeah. And it gives everything we've been going through with his story, this journey with him, such weight. Like, I love that he drink and hide. I just love when she says drink, hide with ghosts in their house, but you cannot escape him. And I think him is literally himself in this. Yeah. What he's his destiny. And I think uh, this this might be another me throwing shade around. And sort of why I think I hate the fucking new movie is that instead of actually looking at the 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 nuances of Hellboy's drinking and why he's doing it and why does he hang yeah. out with ghosts and even this what this is implying about that giant attack is that it's him sort of giving in to that part of himself. Right. And it's like Yeah, it's his his like internal situation is never really explored in the movie. It's like You know, at most, it's like he's characterized as like a hard rocking guy who, you know, wears leather pants. And it's that's kind of like the extent of his characterization. And this year, I mean, we've been following this comic book character for decades at this point. It's like he's been able to develop that. I, I think that like, you know, Mignola has always imbued him with humanness. That's like what makes him intriguing as a character and always has. And it, but his humanness doesn't just come from him being like, you know, having like a witty comeback to a to a villain's soliloquy about how they're gonna end the world. It's also from just his actions and you know his unwillingness to just give in to his fate and be like evil. He's like making choices and resisting that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess like the movie Hellboy, he's he's resisting it, but it's just. Not in a very appealing way to to me anyway. Yeah, not to me either. But I I think they just missed the. Again, I haven't seen the movie since the second time I watched it for the podcast or what yeah. or whatnot. But it felt like that was a movie where it's like this guy. He's like a 
he's a pizza and beer guy. And then, oh, yeah. if he gets sad, then the drinking becomes a problem. What this comic book is implying is like, oh, man, Hellboy is really trying to drink away this issue. Yeah. Like, it's, that's a human thing that's relatable. And we've, you know what I mean? In the real yeah. world, it's like that and hide away with ghosts, live with people that he thinks just he won't have to deal with humanity or he's literally eliminating the things that are even good in his life to try to get away from his destiny. Yeah. Which would be the, his friends of the BPRD, his any, any human human that has humanity in them. Um, and then, yeah, this, this ability that his, his rage comes from this bad place is so captivating. And, and they'll even touch on it again, I think in the next issue. And it just gives it, I don't know. It just amazes me that Mignola's weaving this in there and he's never, and he's never, he's, he's confident enough to never lean in and be like, I'm just going to give you a fight scene to give you a fight scene. He's like, yeah. no, this fight with the giants is something else. And it's, it's character based. Yeah. And I think that totally. is so cool. Yeah. And makes it even it cooler. It gives it a lot me. more weight. It yeah. gives it a lot more weight for sure. He's so and he's so sad after he had, we have this little quick flashback to the, the yeah that one and he's still thing. trying to res he's still trying to sell her he's like listen I've been through all of this with Hecate and Rasputin and the talking fish <laughs> you know it's like kind of funny but it's like yeah I've said no to all of these people and Mab just tells him I'm not here to tell you what will happen but to tell you that I see only one hope so he's saying like yeah your father was a demon but your mother was a witch. Either way, you were, like, born destined to wear a crown in some capacity. So she's still very vague. It's like you won't lead an army of men, but kind of, like, implying that he could become a king to these, like, fairy folk maybe or to the witches or something and resist is what my is my takeaway from it at least yeah right now. it's like it's like it's it's like okay maybe don't give me these fucking riddles <laughs> i know always riddles dude yeah she's like yeah an arm you know the bprd can't help you by the time men see what's coming it'll be too late you have to hurry or is she you know as we'll see in this coming issue it's like can you trust mab too right mab tells you this one thing but you know, we'll see what happens right now. I mean, God, she I says, don't. I mean, Hellboy. I'm sorry to to to, no, to, no. to add to what you just said. It's just like through his entire journey that we've gone through. It's like I don't, I wouldn't know how to tell Hellboy who to trust. <laughs> right, because everybody who seems trustworthy, you know, not everybody. There's like like a handful of people that Hellboy can trust. But at least he's with one of them. Alice is definitely somebody he trusts. Yeah, I think we, you're right. But then we're about to meet this little character who's like very <laughs> cute and funny, but in like an ugly way. Yeah, uh, Mab kind of ghosts away. And then Hellboy and uh, Alice are just talking for a moment. Uh, what was that she said about you dying? Hellboy? He's like lost in thought. And then she turns around and finds this little figure. It's kind of like <laughs> impish looking figure with bat ears and a long beard. And a little bald top of his head and long hair, you know, long like mullety kind of hair. In the back. <laughs> his hair, his hair goes in like one line, basically like around his whole head. Yeah, it's, and it's like hair is attached to his beard. It's like beard right. and lower it head. Like intersects. Yeah, <laughs> that's what um, I'm gonna. So that's what I'm gonna look at pretty soon. If yeah, I if you grow out, grow out your whole your beard until it's as long as your torso. Yeah, maybe that's a, uh, maybe I yeah. should be this this character for Halloween. 
I mean, that's a good, very obscure Hellboy character. <laughs> if I ever do cosplay, I'm going to cosplay as him. Be this little dude. Yeah. Yeah. All you got to do is buy like big elf ears. And- <laughs> Grow out your beard and hair for uh, two years. I can make that happen. Yeah. And that's the end of chapter three. I love this. Before we move on to four, I want to yeah. talk about some favorite stuff. Do you have anything sure. that was favorite from this issue? Um, Definitely the, the panel of him at the table with Alice in her house with the tea set, I think, is, like, just super impactful and, like, contains a lot of visual information to me. Almost like in a way of like, this is like the thesis of this issue. Yeah. Yeah, I just super dug that one. That's definitely my favorite. What about you? A coloring thing that I loved, which I think when you first read this issue, it's something that I think just goes by naturally with your eye because you're mainly following the main story. You're just trying to get the information and keep going. I love when Queen Mabe shows up. So I love that she brings the darkness with her. Like if you subtly start to look at the coloring, when they're waiting for Mabe, the darkness starts to roll in, roll in, roll in. But we're paying attention to the words, but all behind them, this darkness is rolling in and taking out all the color. Yeah. Mabe shows up and it's still just slowly taking over. But as soon as they're in full conversation, we're in darkness. Right. And I love that we, it just subtly plays out. We're in darkness complete a void of light they're sitting in a void i love that yeah. and then she when she wisps away and the fairies go with her the all that darkness goes with her i think that's just a yeah. such a cool color choice it gives her i mean it's just a visual gives her that magical like vibe everything yeah. her presence is just starts to be felt before we even meet her and it's great right it totally changes her environment showing up like that so that's that's my favorite thing it's yeah. just that choice. That's it's great. It's very cool. Like it's something that, again, it's something that I'm like, if I made a movie of this, that's a thing I would want to pull and be like, yeah. can we visually make this happen and interpret yeah. this into, a, the, into the movie? Because this is cool as hell. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So that's it. That's it. It's a delightful episode. I mean, they're really moving this. Like, th- I think with this many issues, you do ten- you you're gonna end up having bridge issues or bridge moments that push the story forward. They're finding a very cool balance where you never feel completely like, oh, this is just ever repetitive or just information. Because yeah. even with introducing Alice, we're hearing old information to us as readers, but we're getting to see it through a new character's eyes that keeps it fresh for us. Because yeah. she's like, "What? You died?" <laughs> right. And I love that. Yeah, it is awesome. I think, like, it really shows off Mignola as, like, a completely formed storyteller, and Figredo is such a great person to bring that visually to life. It's fucking awesome. And the fourth one, oh, it's it's cool, too, to have these, like, interspersed kind of scenes where we see him fighting the giants. So there's never there's never an issue without a couple of panels of action. Yeah. You know, you're you're never like as a reader like, wow, what a talky issue. No, no punchy. <laughs> Me like punchy, you know. So you get to see plenty of punchy. Me want boom and, boom. Yeah, right. <laughs> you want boom. And blood. And yeah, so you get to see that more of that like Hellboy charging the giants with this shard of the sword and the giants looking scared, which I thought was cool and then just a panel of red. For the complete fucking bloodshed that we see on the next page. 
And his horns. Where Hellboy with his horns grown. Yeah, his horns growing out. Wow. That's something he hasn't told anybody happened. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think is very fascinating that if this is an internal interpretation or is this literally he got so enraged, Kate, that the side of his destructive nature and his destiny even came so much through that his his horns grew back in that moment. It's because they're not fully grown. They they look. I mean, they do look fully grown, but they're not like they have like a point, but they're not like as long as they become eventually. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, you know, definitely something to be wary of. And he's like looking very savaged. He's like, you know, yeah, he's fucking wrecked these giants. He chopped their goddamn heads off and their hands, <laughs> and they're all like cut up. It's a very like sort of like almost like a Wolverine kind of a crouch that he's on top of these giants with. Yeah. So it's like animalistic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then someone's calling to Alice is calling to him, Hellboy, hey, like snapping him back out of it again. Are you there? Uh they both turn to see this little guy. <laughs> you know, this little gremlin-y looking guy. You know, he um, also reminds me of, and I'm just going to interject, who? is he reminds me, because if you look at his fur, like, or his hair and his beard cover his whole body, he looks like that, that Shell Silverstein story with the guy that has the beard. There's like a poem in one of the, the side where the sidewalk ends where there's a Shell Silverstein story poem that is a guy that's naked and just covered in a beard. And that's what it's reminding me of. <laughs> I wish I could remember so what it is. Uh, was we- I think it's called my beard. I think that's it. And there's my beard grows down to my toes. I never wears no clothes. I wraps my hair around my bear, and down the road I goes. <laughs> that's funny. And the ads, does, does it have the illustration that way? He does it? look like that. Yeah, he looks exactly <laughs> like that. He's like a little bald guy, and his beard is like completely covering him yeah that's what this guy is it's great it's a mystical version of that (laughs) that's perfect and i'm just looking at a picture of shell silverstein and he just looks like shell silverstein grew a long beard (laughs) this character is shell silverstein's in the mignola verse yeah (laughs) that's exactly what he looks like that's great and he introduces himself as sir edmund duke of gloucester at your service sir Duke of Gloucester? I doubt it. And then immediately this creature sobs and says, it's true. What's my name? I don't know. (laughs) So he's like all over the place. He's like a little crazy zany guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he and he immediately points to Hellboy like, but I'm an Englishman and you're an Englishman. American, actually. You're funny. And old Mab let me or left me to to see you find that army you want. So I'm going to do that, right? Right? So he's like a little zany guy who's like, okay, Mab sent me to help find that army that you guys talked about. So you follow me. Alice kind of likes him because she is too trusting of fairy folk at this point. Yeah, she's been integrated into it. Yeah. So. Well, they've been like, it's almost like you could, that's the thing is like, I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but like they kidnapped her as a baby. They started to be nice to her, which her... At least her mom tried to stop, or her her dad would have stopped if he knew about it. Right. Um. Yeah. Which maybe they should have. Maybe she is too trusting of these fairy folk now. I don't know. I agree. I mean, she was invited to Dogda's funeral, so she definitely feels safe in this yeah. world. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, the little creature who is not Edmund, but I guess we could call him that, <laughs> leads them away. He's like, okay, you know, come with me. 
I'm going to take you, like, follow me. I'm going to lead you there. And at first, Hellboy's like, Alice, you, why don't you stay here? And she's like, hell no, I'm coming with you. <laughs> you might need me down the road. And this little creature lead, leads them into this forest, this kind of, like, thick, thick forest of full of, like, twisted, gnarled, dead trees. Yeah, it's like um, just, like, dead. Yeah. Dead. It just looks like a dead world, but... I guess, what does he say? He's just like, it's not quite the human yeah. world, not quite the fairy world or something? Yeah, not your world and not quite theirs. A bad place to be lost, you, so you stay close. He's a happy little guy, I'll give him that, like Cowboy <laughs> says. And he's he's very, like, smeagly. He's very, like, yes. ah, like I imagine his... I'm the golem. But yeah, right. <laughs> not your world and not quite theirs. Like, sort of a, you know, you get the feeling he's, like, a little sing-songy and, like, creepy. I don't know. He's funny. Yeah, he's coming off very Jim Henson, too. Like totally. a labyrinth. He, I wouldn't be surprised if this character was in the labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he leads them down uh alice is kind of asking hellboy a little bit more about him getting killed you know is that true hellboy says yeah i think so so like even hellboy's like sussing it out like he can't quite remember this was like a bad time (laughs) yeah and he's not totally sure what happened even to him of course like and they show a little shot from the island where he got stabbed completely through the torso what was that like it hurt not uh that's not what i meant i mean what was it like being dead i don't know well how'd you come back I don't know. You don't know much, do you? Like, she's kind of like ribbing him a little bit, but it's like, wow, this is some bad shit's happening to you and you haven't really figured out what's going on yet. Yeah. Because he's just been avoiding it. I guess that's a, that's the thing, too. It's like alcoholism is avoiding your problem. It's like a symptom of a of a another problem with an underlying cause, a thing that, like, led you to that. Yeah. I mean, what we have seen yeah. is Hellboy, because we're just getting these flashes of him in, like, Africa, him dead, of course. Yeah. All his things he's avoided. But, like, we've seen that from the very beginning. I mean, when he, and see, all the way back in Seed of Destruction, the first time he's actually faced with it, mm-hmm. he doesn't go, he doesn't, like, choose to go head on and, like, face it and be like, well, okay, that's what you want. I'm, I'm going to say no. He just... Unfortunately, we like him for this. He's just headstrong and says no, but he really doesn't actually investigate into what anyone's saying either. Right. He doesn't know how to... It's like that's not going to make the problem go away. Clearly, all of these creatures and people and ancient beings are continuing to tell you that this is your fate. And you can say no all you want, but it's like eventually you're going to be faced with it. Yep. Yeah. It's now finally coming to... Coming home, was that uh-huh. phrase coming home to roost or whatever the hell it is? Sure, yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah, Dave. Anyway, I think that's right. <laughs> I didn't mean it as a dismissive, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, he's continuing to follow this little, this little creepy little guy. I like to, I love that, like, sorry to interject again when we're moving on. No, no. But like, it gets heavy with her questions, right? It's like this really right. fun pattern of like, how is it like, oh, uh, it hurt. I mean, how was it like to be dead? Oh, uh, I don't know. And he's like, what, well, did you come back? I don't know. And then I like the breaking of it is you don't know much, do you? And then she says, not much. Then her next question is, what about that guy that made made uh, made you, made, that guy made out of your blood? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> I like giving it that levity. Like he knows Mignola's like, I know I need to break this because we can't just sit in this like really dire confusion Confused state. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. Totally. Oh, man. It's so creepy. 
And this guy's getting, this little gremlin's getting creepier and creepier. It almost looks like he's showing him his butt when he's walking away from Yeah. <laughs> he's like, hey. I've been around a long time since before kings and priests, before Merlin and the devil set those stones up at Salisbury. I know an Englishman, because Hellboy's like still calling himself an American. <laughs> yeah, so he, and then as they're, as they're continuing to travel, the little guy asks, Hellboy, I wonder if you know the Dane Hills at um, uh, Lostershire. I've been there. When I was there last, there was an old oak tree and a goddess lived under it. And people used to hang gifts for her in that tree. I wonder, is it still there? And Hellboy is like, yeah, I think I know the tree you mean, but he describes it in a fucking horrible way. Ugh. It's in front of a cave, a cannibal hag used to live in that cave. Every once in a while, she'd grab little kids, eat them, and hang their skins in that tree. Black Annis. Does she still live? No. And just a shot of Hellboy fucking killing her. <laughs> Back in 62. Poor thing, she was beautiful in her time. Ah, but cursed with long life and abandoned by her people. And what do you think became of them? And of course, they start rising out of the ground. Yeah, these little dudes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So it's like, oh, yeah, you called that cannibal hag your goddess? That was beautiful. So, uh, yeah, this is a little bad guy. And all of these little guys with their uh, little swords come out and start, like, <laughs> you know, dozens of them are, like, attacking Hellboy and Alice at the same time. Uh, damn, little guy let us into a trap. And Alice is, like, still kind of saying, like, no, he couldn't, like, Mab wouldn't do that to us. And then, meanwhile, the little guy's just talking about, like, his goddess who Hellboy killed. And he says, you know, murdering bastards, how much golden, or murdering bastard, how much golden blood is on your hands now? Kali Burr, the brown man, the Bogrush, you're next! <laughs> like, as he's punching. Yeah, you're next. I love that. I love this detail that we've seen the golden blood before. I like. I think Dogda yeah. had golden blood. The, I, even the island, the, there was golden blood, I believe, that ran. Yeah, yeah. The thing, the, like, priest that he brought back. I love that Mignola is establishing, like, reestablishing that, that like, that's a norm for his, his, like, universe. That these gods yeah. have golden blood is such a yeah. cool, specific. And just to have it come back in this language, this re, in this guy's reven, vengeful speech, is just a perfect little touch. <laughs> and it's good, too. It's It establishes this whole, like, group of these folklore creatures who are pissed at Hellboy. Like, it's not just... Hecate, it's like Hellboy's been going around punching things to death for a long time, you know, for, yeah. you know, since the 40s, he's making some enemies and they're like, band, they're going to band together to kill him or whatever, or to make him, you know, bring about the end of the world or something right now to attack him, you know, with the hope of attacking him and killing him. Yeah. He's like punching all the little guys off. Alice is, she's like, you know, she's kicking little guys in the head. And fighting with Hellboy, like, she wouldn't, not her, like, saying that Mab wouldn't have led them into a trap. Hellboy says, we'll see. And he tries to protect Alice from these little spears that they're throwing, but one sticks her in the hand and she's poisoned. The little not Edmund guy is like, that's poison and she is dead, 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 dead. And, like, he's kind of celebrating until these three white birds fly down yeah and he starts screaming all the little guys start scattering they're terrified of these birds the birds attack him and like cause all these little 
cuts all over his body and they're just like singing kind of pretty little swallows or something like that. Alice is like passed out. She's is poisoned. And then like the little guy who led them here just says dead one more time and falls down dead himself, covered with little cuts from all of these from these birds. From three all of them, I should say three. And Hellboy's telling Alice not to worry. Alice is like, oh it doesn't hurt. These three women appear who have these like huge eyes and instead of beaks, they have these little daggers. I love that. Shaped daggers covered in blood. I love they have the blood of the Edmund guys. Love, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. He's like, who the hell are you? And then they kind of, he can see them as birds, like in their bird form. Uh, can you help her? They tell him our lady has medicine. All right, let's go. How far is it? Just listen. If you guys are jerking me around or if this is another. <laughs> but they're like. They kind of look at him with these like sideways looks, like very bird-like. <laughs> and the woman, one of the women says, Hellboy, close your eyes and now open. And he is like transported completely to a huge castle surrounded by fire, like a moat of fire around this giant like fortress of a castle. Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, and that's the end of the fourth chapter. It's yeah. crazy. I love it. it. Ends on a holy crap. <laughs> yeah holy crap <laughs> what an epic so we'll find out next time who who their lady is and if she'll help alice and all of that good stuff yeah alice will make it we will find out what a cliffhanger it's very, cool. very, very, very cool i love those little guys those little guys are probably my highlight of this they're very fun <laughs> they like almost i love that they're like something that visually don't look harmful but a bunch of them becomes a threat. And then, yeah, there's like, like a swarm. <laughs> yeah, there's so many of them. I love it. <laughs> Another thing that I'm like, I mean, I wish this, if I was behind the Hellboy movie or making a Hellboy movie and we were doing this, too, it's like, this is again. Another element, I was like, we gotta, we gotta put this on the screen, right? This, yeah. These little guys are so cool and fun. <laughs> like, let's get him, them, like, oh, I wanna see this brought to life. Immediately. <laughs> There's like a lot of fun shit with like ancient Celtic folklore that I feel like hasn't really been on in a movie. I mean, maybe it has. If you guys know of a movie where that's been explored. Yeah, that's not just know. leprechauns. <laughs> right. Yeah, these like other fairy folks sound like really interesting. Yeah, I'm with you there. Any fave panels? Uh, Absolute fave. I mean, I truly do... I do think the last page is a great page. I just, I think it's one of the best like exteriors with Hellboy and I just, in the flames, I think it's just, it's simple, but it's just so cool. There's such small little details that make it not just a bland castle aside from there's fire, of course, a mode of fire, as you said, but I love that there's like these big tree branches growing out of the castle itself. Right, more dead, gnarled trees. The, the the detail of this, like, stone stepway that they, they, they're they on yeah. that leads to, like, I guess... Or used to lead to the you, castle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. And I really do. I mean, of course, everything with the little guys, but I really love that panel with... I, like, I think I like... I love the panel with him on top of the giants with all the mayhem. But I think I love even more the second panel on that page where yeah. we have the bloody close up with his scrapes on his face and yeah, um, when his horns and him just really looking beast, just beast mode, Hellboy, but not, totally. but not like a positive, like we're not rooting for this version of Hellboy. No. 
And I no. think the idea, the ability that Duncan Fregredo and Dave Stewart's colors were able to capture a version of that that I'm not like, oh, cool, yeah, okay. It's more of like, oh, no, I know. Yeah. Say no to that. Right, right. <laughs> You're being led astray right now. Is It's just a testament to their their abilities in this story. Yeah, totally. What about you? Yeah, I mean, those are all awesome. I also like the one where this little not Edmund guy, just the little panel where he's like, you're funny. I've been around a long time since before Kings and Priests and all that stuff. But he's got this great expression and his little hand is like doing a cool gesture of like, oh yeah, I got you. You can't trick me. <laughs> I'm an ancient thing. <laughs> like he's, and he looks a little bit more like menacing in this shot too he's yeah. it's like slowly revealed that he's less funny and more scary as shit <laughs> yes but yeah that panel he's letting down his silly guard like the little right. facade of being silly yeah. is starting to drop i think you're right there. yeah and i think it's really sad you know and, and he has this like more serious dialogue but i think that this expression by figredo is also really good just like the head being cocked a little to the side and I love the three bird women. I think they're really creepy too. Just their eyes being so exaggerated. And they're almost like, they look like nuns to me. They have like these covers on their head and, yeah. um, you know, but like a <laughs> sort of a crazy ninja sect of nun that turns into birds and stabs things. Like it makes me really curious about what their mistress is going to look like. Yes. You know? And they look like specifically the nuns of like, what's the, the famous nun? Um. Oh, that Mother Teresa. They look like Mother, like dead. Oh, with the white. Yeah. The white like garments. I don't even know what. Yeah. You they call look them. like three deadly vestments? Mother Teresas. <laughs> I think they're called vestments. You're probably right. What do nuns wear? Oh, sorry, I just. <laughs> well, I know the habit, God, but that's sorry. the like Catholic nun. They look like the nun that's whatever Mother Teresa was. Tunics. Tunics. Yeah. There you go. So it's, of course, they wear the habits and they wear tunics. Tunics. Nice. Yeah. All right. And a scapular and a cowl. <laughs> <laughs> they wear a lot of shit. Wow. Layers. Layers, those yeah. nuns. Oh, I love this stuff. It's, Fregredo has a thing where it is hard. I mean, I think I think I've already done this and it sounds dumb. I, I can pick fair panels, but him and Mignola, with Mignola's writing and how he's grown as a writer, of course, Dave Stewart's coloring, which I absolutely love. Like, again, I love when Dave Stewart allows the surrounding colors to influence how he's going to color Hellboy's red. That yeah. always impresses me. But Fregredo has such a pacing that I think is just growing so well, even from Darkness Calls to this, that there's every panel. He's even, I would argue, he's using more panels than Miola normally does. But they still are, and there's no waste. It's not a wasteful panel. It just completely flows. Yeah. And one is there enhancing the next for the story to move forward. And I think I would love to see a script to see how much, because I don't think in the sketchbook they show scripts. They show more just design. That The back, they sort of, when I read the sketchbook for these first three, or these first four issues, excuse me, if you get more of a sense of their collaboration and like, Mignola wanting this and then Duncan doing this or with the art more yeah than, than actually the layout so I'm like I'm, I, if it's out there I would love to see a script yeah between like what Mignola's page looks like in, in compare like his script page comparison to the 
the product, the final thing, because they're working very well together in the by the finished product. It looks it's, it flows and moves so well. It's it's paced and it's a different. I would argue it's a different pace than Mignola. It's not off. It's not like off or Phil Strange. It's that same thing of like I think back when we first got introduced to Fregredo, how Fregredo is taking a notes from Mignola's style, but he's also it's his own. It's not it's not fully giving over to a copy of Mignola. He's just being influenced because it's his story. It's his creation. And I think that same thing is happening with his use of panels and pacing is he's taking, he's taking from Mignola, but he's in, he's just filtering it through himself and it becomes this new thing, which yeah, I love. Totally. Cause there's, there's some surprising stuff where I'm like, you'll get a panel. It happened with in the, in the, all of these issues where you'll get a bunch of like four bigger panels and then he'll have like to round it out to six. He'll have two like a thin a thin panel and then like a little square, right? And they don't seem wasted. They just add like they'll be like, oh, we need to get a close up in it real quick. Like I'm looking in this issue when when uh, Hellboy is getting questioned about dying, we get them in the this gruesome forest. We get the him in Africa. We get them profile back in the forest. We get him dead on the island and then a really narrow quick of the back of the forest and then a little panel, a six panel. It's a close up of Alice and it just works so well. You're like, it's almost like we're punching in as we get more information and our curiosity kind of grows along with Alice's, you know, like, hey, do you know yeah. how much do you not? You don't know too much, do you? And you're like, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, she's she's very much the. Are the audience like surrogate for sure in this one? Yeah, and they've done a good job of that because it doesn't feel like we're dropped. Our surrogate is not somebody that is has no idea what's going. It's yeah, not like a brand new. She's like integrated into the story. She knows already. She's yeah. She's no has the same knowledge of us, but then a couple yeah. of things by her asking questions, it's just informing us more. Yeah. I love that. And she has her own like knowledge base. Like she comes in with her own information that she's adding that I think is really interesting. Oh, and I just sent to you to your personal email that Mignola, there is like a page of his script available for when he when he announced the winter special for 2018. Ooh. And on that link that you have there, there's like a little kind of like gallery of images that has like at first just the covers and stuff, but it also has like a Word document, Hellboy Winter Special script that you can look at and uh, listeners can also just look this up. It's on Sci-Fi Wire and uh, exclusive Mike Mignola shares his script for a new Hellboy Winter Special comic. And it just has like a cool breakdown of, I guess, what he gives to other artists to do a Hellboy story. Great. I love that. Yeah. I mean, we'll definitely be touching the, the winter specials in the future, but this is a great resource in just in general. Thanks for sending that my way. Totally. Yeah. I just happened to, I just looked up Hellboy comic script and this is the first thing that popped up, which is just cool to see. Like you said, we don't really, I don't know. I wonder why he revealed this one. You know, it's really cool. Yeah. And anybody out there, if you have other resources of showing his script or any of these, in addition to sketchbook stuff and, you know, those steps I would love to scripts are always interesting to me because that's I like seeing the source where it begins <laughs> yeah so great um I don't know I don't know if I have any other final thoughts other than I'm really just 
as I've already continued, I will continue to say throughout this, these episodes in this month, um, I'm just really continually excited to revisit this story because it's been a while since I re- read it. And also just revisiting it with somebody with completely fresh eyes is so fun, Kate. Yeah. Love it's it. always fun to read these comics with you. Hell yeah. And talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that's a cue for all of you out there that are listening. We want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. We want to hear your opinions of the of the of the wild hunt, your opinions of these moments, um, your thoughts on anything here, your your thoughts on David Stewart, Fregredo's and Mignola's co- like collaboration in these stories. Hell, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think about them, ha- their attempt at adapting this into a movie. Um, <laughs> anything you want to share with us, we want to hear from you. You can email us your thoughts and we'll share them on the show at crap, a hellboy podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. That being said, I don't have anything to suggest right now. Um, just cause I'm, I just don't have anything fresh. Off the hip. I, I mean, just look up this Hellboy script. We were talking about Invincible. Yeah, check out Invincible. That's a cool comic. Before the podcast started. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool comic. And on Amazon. It's a quality uh, animated adaptation. I'm digging the show. I, I, I mean, we were talking about the animation being, like, not our favorite at this point. But I hope they get a second season and, like, get more money to put into it. Because I think, I mean, especially with this cast, like, they probably just spend a huge chunk of their budget on the voice actors. Right. Because it's like ridiculous. But I will say like, even though that we're, we're talking about the animation being maybe a little like budgetary restrained, but one thing I absolutely loved about it, I'm not going to spoil it if you never read Invincible, but there's, there's a final, there's a scene in the first episode that I think the sound design really stood out to me. And that's what I was like. The scene at the end. Yeah, right? yeah. I think yeah. the sound design in a lot of moments like that, I'm like, oh, this was really dumb. That one well. blew me away where I was like, I was watching the first episode and I was like, oh, this is okay. Like, this is pretty cool. And then at the end, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I was just <laughs> saying, oh, shit out loud a bunch of times. Oh, and I asked my friend Rob, who's like an editor on some animated shows. Oh, great. But he was saying, I was like, do you know what this program is that they use for this show? He was like, he wasn't sure, but he was saying the program a lot of companies used for animation is called Harmony Tune Boom. It's two programs technically, but it goes from storyboarding tools to rigging puppets. So they're less like each frame isn't animated, but like a puppet basically is created that like, you know, like how like they sort of move it through space in a their sense. Their mouths move, uh, you know, like or like um, on Bojack Horseman or some shit, like each frame isn't drawn. It's like just their mouths or eyes will move. Right. But the figures themselves are like stationary. They're like, you know, their entire bodies aren't moving or the rest of their face isn't moving to create a facial expression, which makes it look very puppety to me. Right. He said, I'd have to watch Invincible, but it looks like it could be puppets or rigs rather than full hand drawn. Uh, it probably is. I mean, that's yeah. to save money. There's no way, especially on right. something that like. I think like all like many modern cartoon, many modern animated animated shows are done in that way and i think it is to just save money and like you know and but the action is fully animated and it feels different and not just like there's like elements where they add cgi that are also a little like clunky but the like the end of the first ish episode was animated really really well yeah this, again, I will reiterate. Like, that's cool. The sound design was my favorite part of it, and like it was, yeah. it was worth watching it just for that sound. 
Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, so check that out. I yeah, guess. I think that's it. We both watched that. I need to catch up on the last episode before my Prime video stops. So I'll do that today. But yeah, go watch that. I don't have anything else because I think this is just, I really was just more inter- like really immersed into these last two issues that nothing really popped out other than if you love Shakespeare, go read yeah, some fucking Shakespeare. I, you know, I yeah. did King Lear once. I loved it, the experience, but I, Shakespeare's not a favorite of mine and I'm not going to act like just because I'm an actor that Shakespeare is my love. Cause to it's perform not. or to watch or both? Both. It's I've just never, never been my favorite. Shakespeare. I've performed once and it was, I'll be honest, it was one of my greatest, it was a, one of my favorite acting experiences of my entire life. But he, I don't. What, what was it? King Lear. I got to play uh, Kent, character named Kent. Cool. And it, there's more to that story and the, why it was a great experience, but we're not going to get into that today because sure. it's just been out of time. <laughs> Sure. Not that we don't go on tangents that would go long beyond this. <laughs> we'll save that tangent for another tangent episode. But Shakespeare to me is weird. I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this about Shakespeare. And I think it's great. I like this. I like that Mignola has a way of referencing stuff, but I don't need to know the reference. So that's why I really like him. Like I don't have to have an encyclopedia brain about his references to actually like still sit in his stories. Enjoy the work. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like I do think like the Bible Shakespeare now is to that point where it's like people love to just fucking reference it and it feels almost like tired or something. Yeah, it feels a little tired and a little feel was a little easy. And I'm like, I'm wondering what will be the next one after that. Tolkien? <laughs> I don't know. Even though he's, you know, I don't know. Chron- uh, Chronicles of Narnia? I don't know. Even though those are all referencing, these are things that are all referencing the Bible or different versions of it. What am I talking about? I'm, I don't even know what I'm talking about. That makes sense. But Shakespeare seems that way. It's like, if you can reference Shakespeare, then look how intelligent I am. And I'm like, shut up. (laughs) I don't know it, but where's the story? I don't want, I care for more of the story than a reference. This is all I'm trying to get at. Yeah, that makes sense. So I got that rant in. So that makes this show (laughs) an official episode. (laughs) But I don't know. That's great. Um, I'm really excited to continue reading this with you, as I already stated. I'm excited to hear our thoughts from our listeners on what they what they think of the Wild Hunt and what we missed and what they want to add to that. Yeah. You can, in addition to emailing us, you can follow us on Instagram at Aw Crap a Hellboy Podcast, Twitter Aw Crap Hellboy. Um, if you do comment and or direct message us anything on there, we will reply. Just be aware if you want your thoughts on the show, you got to email us at Aw Crap a Hellboy Podcast at gmail.com. And then if we're just going to ask that you please. Wherever you listen to the show, please subscribe, rate, and review. But if you go out of your way to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and your review starts with the word BOOM, B-O-O-M, we will read your review right here on the show, give you all sorts of praise and love you more than ever than you've ever been loved before. (laughs) (laughs) But we call that a BOOM review. Please go on to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star BOOM review. Um, That will hopefully... You know, the, the hope is that we just get more listeners and more people to, to email us and chat about this stuff. But that's it for this episode of the of chapter three and four of The Wild Hunt. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, thank you again for listening, everybody out there. And remember. We love you. Excuse me. Sorry. Bless you. Probably gonna go again, so hold on. Yeah, it's okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Hello. 
My name is Muriel, and I love true crime. I'm Nick, and I am not a fan. Every week on our new podcast, Muriel's Murders, I handpick a real-life crime story that I think will blow Nick's mind. Muriel is really enthusiastic about researching and telling me these stories, and boy, they are a lot. Some of them are famous. Some of them are weirdly under the radar, but all of them contain crime, violence, and murder from across history and around the globe. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts and check out the original Muriel's Murders animations on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok at Muriel's Murders. How are you feeling, Nikki? Very nervous. Are you ready to hear a story? No. Too bad. Here comes some murder eclipse from season one of Muriel's Murders. This week involves a trio of scheming brothers, a handyman and his gold, an unsolved mystery, and Abraham Lincoln himself. And they also say that Henry actually never recanted his story, ever. Whoa. He never recanted it. You said I shouldn't be scared. This Fisher, that could be a ghost. And no one and no one knows what happened to Fisher. Like that never came into the the light. Like Henry yeah. never recanted and Fisher like literally never said anything about it. So very easily they could have taken him to the thicket. I love that it happened in the thicket, by the way. Yeah. I'm not even sure what it is, but I just see like blackberry brambles and it's like sticky and hurdy. And then they they try to kill him. They think they kill him. They move him to the pond, and then he just wakes up like they were really bad at killing and rob again. There was a state trooper who yeah. pulled somebody over who had some weed, yeah. and the people were like, don't give us a ticket. We'll show you where the weed is at. And he said, okay, and they drove to Texas, and he got about 300 pounds of weed in Texas yeah. and drove it back to sell it in Arkansas and totally got caught. <laughs> but he's like a state trooper from that area, you sure, know? Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I get so, it. So, like, you got to get this idea that, like, you, you know, like... I'm envisioning rural, uh, sparsely populated. And it's a little, still has that bootlegger, like, anything goes vibe. You know, like, that's sure. the that's the feeling that I got. You know, the state trooper's like, you got that weed? And he's like, no, <laughs> listen, man, I'll just cut you a deal. He's like, you got it. We have to go all the way to Texas. He's like, ah, I was going there anyways. <laughs> exactly. gets there and he buys a gun and bullets right (laughs) so very concerned father doesn't know where his little girl is she's walking through the woods so he's just gonna go kill this guy so he goes and he buys a gun and some bullets and he like goes down to waldport which is the closest town to where the ferry is to get across the bay and he gets to where the ferry is and he looks up and he misses the ferry by like just a couple minutes. Right. But he looks up and he sees this bearded, tiny guy surrounded by these bathrobed women. And so he just picks up his pistol and he shoots it. And the gun misfires five times. <laughs> and so now Crefield has witnesses to that he can't be killed. Oh, yes. He just, he just destroyed San Francisco yes. and now he can't be killed. Right. And so they just like, he didn't duck or run away and then the ferry just moves across <laughs> the water. Just keeping <laughs> eye contact the entire way. Campfire. 